Hey, I'm here with Dave, and today we're going to initiate a new kind of podcast. Uh, it's kind of inspired because True Faults is the film festival in Colombia, and every year I've been going for 11 years. How long have you been going, Dave? Uh, maybe just three or four years. So uh, it it is always a rich experience, and uh, it's one we, we want to share, but also we have a, a group that meets every Thursday. And we read a book or we watch a movie. And so we kind of, we did true faults together. And so we thought we'd, uh, I, I'm not sure what should we call this, our cultural podcast or, you know, uh, a kind of Christian engagement with the culture. And with the true faults uh, films, that these will, they're not actually in the theaters yet. Uh, they're not commercially available, but we've seen them. And kind of give you a heads up as to what, might be coming but if uh david if i asked you you know what is it that you know i, I and i'm saying this a little bit because i'm not a very critical i kind of just sit there with my mouth open and drool during the movies and i i'm not i can't say that i'm a very critical film watcher and what i've noticed with you is that like when we did we watched silence uh, you you had all these reflections, and so what is it that you know you're uh, maybe as a Christian or just as a human being that what is the thing that you're looking for in a high quality piece of art or film? Well, I think that the values or the goals that uh, filmmakers are going after, and I, I guess it doesn't matter what kind of film it is or or what genre, or, or whether it's documentary. or they're, they're looking to touch upon the human human condition, um, applying uh, the story uh, to the person's life, making that connection uh, to either say, I'm moved by this, I relate to this, or I hate this. Uh, and um, Or I'm scared. I mean, that's, you know... So many people like horror movies and uh, love movies and uh, uh, just these inspirational movies. It's because it truly moves them um, in a way that uh, they want to be moved. And you uh, actually you bring some credentials because you are working in theater. Uh, you've worked in theater in the past. Uh, and so, what? What uh, you're working with a particular group, a troupe, or uh, right now I'm going to be working with the Maplewood Barn Theater in Columbia. Uh, in the past, I've worked with a number of different drama uh, groups, um, but kind of like the abstract uh, productions that we recently did. Um, the whole idea is silhouetting something that stands out in the narrative of the play. And so you, you've got a play going on, and you've got characters on stage, and, and the narrative is going on, uh, and, the, and the audience is following along, but every once in a while, the, the goal of the director is to create a silhouette around a particular scene or a moment or an image that's going to touch it's going to reach out and touch the audience, and that's that's hopefully that goal. 
And we just did, a, this is, a, we hadn't planned on discussing this, but before True Faults, we had all just uh, uh, gone uh, to a play. Uh, what, was the, what was the name of that play? Uh, that it was about a bipolar, it was a bipolar musical. I'd never been to a bipolar musical. Neither that was my I. first. And mine too. And I was surprised at how bipolar, how entertaining bipolar musicals could be. Do you know, what was the name of that? Next to Normal. Uh, and uh, yeah, again, I think that um, there are a number of uh, scenes in that play that we've all commented about. Um, you know, one of the ones that you guys have been commenting about is the son who is deceased but is a figment of the imagination of the bipolar mom who who screams or sings over and over again, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. Uh, because that is that, um, that uh, uh, reach out kind of concept that says to anybody who's lost a child, oh my gosh, I wish I wish they were alive. How much you know yeah. I would I would want my imagina my my figment of imaginative son to be sitting there singing, I'm alive, I'm alive. Yeah. So yeah, it was uh, that uh, we've had some some wonderful uh, experiences. But let's uh, let's talk about the uh, what's coming up. Uh, and Dave and I did not see the same films. We went to different films. All of them. We saw Mr. Rogers. We saw Mr. Rogers. Should we talk about Mr. Rogers' we can, neighborhood? We can go there first. Yeah. Okay. It was uh, the director is Morgan Neville, and Neville uh, he has done several films, and and it had the appearance. You know, his was uh, he did Twenty Feet from Stardom. Um, and it was clearly a, a big budget uh, sort of production, but I thought it was interesting uh, why Neville came out. Uh, I can't remember before or after the film, and describes why he made the film. And he had been working with uh, Yo-Yo Ma uh, on a film. I don't think I've seen that. Had you? I did not. And. Uh, Yo-Yo Ma, he had asked Yo-Yo Ma, he said, well, um, how do you handle, you know, being a celebrity? And Yo-Yo Ma said, well, Mr. Rogers taught me. And, of course, Neville thought he was joking, you know. And Ma said, no, I'm not joking, Mr. Rogers. Uh, You know, Fred Rogers is a good friend of mine. And if you go back on YouTube, you can find lots of appearances of Yo-Yo Ma on the... uh, you know, Mr. Rogers' uh, neighborhood. Uh, and uh, he said that he, they'd had a conversation when he had asked Fred Rogers, well, how do you handle it? Because at one point, the people said Fred Rogers was the most recognizable face in America, and maybe the most ridiculed face in America, that, that there are so many parodies of Mr. Rogers. And so the, this is... This is not that sort of film, you know. People say, "Oh, a film about Mister Rogers." There's no, there's no dirt on Mister Rogers. There's no, you know, it's not Je- Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. No, he just seemed to be this the the person that you saw on screen, uh, in that he was sincere and kind and loving. Uh, that seemed to be. I mean, that's what that was. Who he he 
really was as an individual. So the people on the the uh, TV show with him and others, and it was I found it very touching. I don't know if you did. Yeah, and I think the the significant part of it is that while you have a historical look at uh, the the full breadth of work that he's uh, done as he's just focused in on children and caring for children and, and education, um, he, they really bring out in the documentary all of the aspects that composed of his life, the political uh, realm that he stepped in to for uh, a brief period of time to make a huge impact on the um, you know, federally funded NPR uh, program, National uh, public uh, radio it's PBS, right? right. I don't that's right. I don't know if it was PBS, but right? Anyway, right. Yeah, PBS, market. that's right. And uh, uh, and of course, you know the areas that um, he truly tried to make did make statements about that applied to current affairs, current life, um, violence in the midst of Vietnam. Um, uh, cultural racial uh, issues in the midst of the 50s and the 60s and, and the, the racial divide that was uh, such a big part of America. And, of course, as, as time went on um, and kids continue, children and children's education continue to be marginalized, he just continued to focus in on doing that same thing over and over again. And I love the idea that he stepped away for a while figured out that that was not what he wanted to do and ultimately came back and finished the rest of his life doing exactly what he had been doing yeah, all he tried, along. he tried an adult program. An and, adult version yeah. of Won't You Be My Neighbor. And they showed, I had never realized that they showed a little clip, but it, uh, it just didn't work for some reason. Uh, because he really, I mean, he obviously uh, is... is He's not speaking down to children, but no. uh, at all, and and so that's just really who he is. But uh, I thought the interesting part is that when he is engaging children, and just like that one scenario that he brought out, that he comes into a room full of children for the very first time, and he perceives that experience as being a test of whether or not the children are going to be willing to accept him and trust him. And in a simple kid-like question that is thrown at him, he engages them right where they are, and he passes the test. And then think in that same way, when he attempted to do the adult version of it, it's not that he wasn't trusted or accepted. I think by the time most adults grow up, they've lost touch with that ability to be completely transparent and open and therefore being willing to go, okay, yeah, I'll accept your answer and and just trust you and give you the truth. You ask me all these personal questions and now I'll give you all this truth. I, I think that they're not comfortable with that. I just read an article today on male loneliness, that um, that there is a very high suicide rate among men in their 50s. And what it's describing, it was a study that they had done, you know, young boys don't hesitate to make close friends and friendships. But as we 
mature, there is a kind of thing in maleness, in masculinity, that uh, causes us to withdraw from saying, oh, I love you as a friend. And I think that, uh, that in a sense, our culture, you know, if you looked at what Mr. The, the other programs, they were Westerns, you know, and what was always portrayed was the lone, autonomous Marlboro man or the, the tough guy that didn't need anybody else. And so our masculine ideal uh, is, is, I think, highly destructive. He, there was a commercial that they showed in the, the documentary. You know, they're actually show, throwing guns to the children through the TV screen. And that's sort of, that, that was the generation I grew up with. And so if you take that and the cartoons, you know, they're banging each other on the head or the Three Stooges, you know, pie-in-the-face kind of humor... Uh, that here was this medium of television that was being used for commercial purposes and very violent purposes. And so Fred Rogers sees that and wants to step into it. And, and really his message is, you know, there in the song, won't you be my neighbor and that I like you just the way you are. Uh, it, it was a message and uh, that was not, heard anywhere else and delivered in such a way that seemed to have a huge impact. Yeah, I think that it's also more than just um, what was needed in um, contrast to what was out there. Uh, It was more than just what was missing in this TV medium uh, for children. It truly is uh, a foundation of what we need to hear as children growing up, as, as human beings, period, no matter how old you are, um, a level of, of human acceptance and um, love. Um, one of the books I've recently been reading is uh, Love is a Choice, which is uh, a book by a couple of doctors, uh, and they run the uh, Meenier and Merith uh Um, clinics in the United States. And the whole concept is that as we grow up and have dysfunctional relationships, the components that break down that relationship and truly grind happiness to a halt are in some way related to a level of love or acceptance that we did not realize or did not um, understand or or, uh, receive growing up. Um, and so you have workaholic fathers or mothers or, or alcoholic fathers or mothers or uh, whatever the compulsive uh, behavior might be. And um, those might be the surface layer symptoms. But as you dig down and look at the insecurities, the fears and the reasons why people do things to avoid life, the reason they're, they're doing that is because They've missed out. They don't. They don't accept themselves. They don't. They're trying to overcome a lifelong childhood started, you know, um, hurt that they received, and uh, um, 
hopefully the the idea is that you can uh, go back and and rework some of those things but yeah one of the stories it was not actually in the documentary but it, and I've lost uh, I've actually did a blog on this that he was uh, as a child he had grown up in Pittsburgh I think where yeah. and uh, and he grew up watching Mr. Rogers and you know kind of grew out grew Mr. Rogers and went to college but he suddenly found himself in a kind of emotional crisis and he ran into Fred Rogers on the elevator and of course you know they kind of nodded at each other and he was very hesitant to speak to him but finally said Mr. Rogers you know and, and he turns to him and says oh are you one of my neighbors you know <laughs> and he said yes I was and Fred Rogers says, well, give me a hug, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, and he says at that point he was crying. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, just the... the Touched just, him. It just the, the bare human empathy. And he, he, you know, he hesitated again, but he finally said, "Would you know, I, I, if, I don't want to make you late for your meeting. But And so Fred Rogers said, oh, well, that's why I'm, you know, this is a perfect time. And they sat there in a windowsill right outside the elevator and had a fairly prolonged conversation in which this young man told him, well, you know, my grandfather died. And he said, Fred Rogers said, oh, you know, when I lost my grandfather, you know, that's something that we'll have to, you'll never, you know, you have to live through that. So it was just 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 this human warmth and uh, that clearly Fred Rogers, I think, and uh, he was a Presbyterian minister, and I think what he's displaying for us is something that is very biblical, that is that David's love for Jonathan, you know, that this idea of a profound friendship of, you know, Jesus and the disciples and, uh, the you know, the disciples leaning on the breast of Jesus and there is this intimacy and friendship that is to be found, I think, in a Christian love that our culture in some way refuses. In other words, it's in some way seen as unacceptable. And so I think that if you get a chance, this is, this is a surprising, and, and in a sense you feel a little stupid, or, and, and I, you know, I'm sitting there because it just it touched a chord with me. And I went with my daughter, and I could hear her <laughs> sniffling all the way through. That it, it's just surprisingly uh, uh, heartwarming and uplifting. And so, of all the documentaries, and they did open the film festival at uh, tr- uh, not True Faults. They closed True Faults. This was the last film, uh, but they had opened the the festival what's the one in uh, Colorado uh, the uh, Sundance Sun, the Sundance Film Festival uh, with it so it was well recognized so anyway uh, if you get the opportunity see Won't You Be My Neighbor and I assume it will be out uh, in uh, later this year make sure you take tissues yes yes The other film that I saw and you didn't see was Prima's. And Prima's was a very hard, you know, this was about two girls who had, they were cousins. 
and their aunt is the filmmaker. And both of them had experienced severe sexual abuse. So uh, the one, uh, she had been kidnapped, and the guy uh, tried to, thought he had killed her, and then poured gasoline on her and tried to burn her, burn her up. And she survived. Um, and of course, she's her whole body is scarred. She loses uh, breath. She's you know uh, her legs are mottled with um, scars. And part of this, you know, they go to the doctor, the the surgeon that had done the surgery originally on her, and he he was honest. He said, you know, when they brought you in. I was not sure that I wanted you to survive mm-hmm. uh, because this the, the trauma was so great. And of course he's saying this to say obviously I was wrong because here's this beautiful young girl uh, who is, you know, um, in some way able to, you know, live through this trauma. Uh, and uh, the, if ever there were an element of redemption uh, to be found. You, know, you would think, well, the, you know, somebody that's experienced these levels of violence and evil and trauma. Uh, but uh, part of the the film then is the kind it is that uh, her and then her cousin. Ironically, I guess ironic's the wrong word, but the fact that these two uh, girls in the same family had her father had raped her. Uh, continually as a child and she just so they're both describing this severe sexual abuse so her aunt uh, who's doing the film takes them to Canada and they go through uh, special art classes dance classes a kind of you know idea of getting in touch with their emotions and um, and so there, there is that. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a very moving film, uh, and in a sense, I mean, obviously, in this age of hashtag Me Too, uh, violence toward women is clearly a pervasive uh, problem. Um, that these young women, then, uh, you know, they both. Uh, the, the one cousin, it was her own father, and so she eventually uh, got up the nerve to turn him in uh, to the police. And so he was, uh, he was arrested and, and has spent, uh, I, I think he's still, he's still in prison, but you know, I don't know what, uh, uh, that's that film, uh, if, you know, I think it's worthy of, of seeing it. Well, and, and I mean, we talked about this the other day a little bit as, as far as suffering, and, and that is that um, um, not everybody lives in extreme suffering, and, and, and hopefully you're a person that doesn't ever experience extreme suffering, uh, but the reality is that a great majority of people around the world do live in extreme suffering. And, and so how is it that we, that they, that we all um, deal with um, that extreme suffering? How do those people deal with it in their, in their lives? 
Um, but equally important is, is how we deal with that idea that in humanity there is this extreme suffering and there has to be some answer, uh, some way uh, to, um, to cope. And, and perhaps there are answers that have nothing more to do with being at peace and, and finding um, contentment and happiness, moving forward, putting that pain and anguish behind you. Um, but I think that there also has to be an answer for people who never find relief from suffering and ultimately live, as this one gentleman said, I've never experienced a day in my entire life that has not been consumed with this level of suffering. And, and yet they have to be able to cope and move on. And one of the things about True Faults that's kind of, it's always exciting, is that they introduced the director. And at the end of this film, the two girls came out oh, with wow. the director. Yeah. And, and so, how was that? Well, it was quite, you know, quite moving. And everybody, they were able to ask the girls questions. And, and, and clearly that uh, they have, I, I don't know that you can say they've moved on. I don't know if you ever move on. Uh, but at least that it was clear that the events, and this is what they were saying, that these things that had happened to them no longer defined them. Correct. And so they've shaped them, but it doesn't define them. They they are yeah you know, moving beyond the the. the thing.